Welcome to the uh, Scottish mountain bike gathering. Um, I'm Graham McLean. I'm the head of developing mountain biking in Scotland. Um, and I'm, I'm delighted to be joined today um, by my colleague. So I'm Ed Shoots. I work with Graham at Developing Mountain Bike in Scotland as well. So I'll be joining you on this call. Um, and also our actual special guest um, today, um, who is uh, Trevor from the Whistler um, Off-Road Cycling Association, um, or, or Worker, as known. Um, how are you doing today, Trev? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, no, uh, thanks very much. Thanks very much for joining us uh, and being a part of our gathering today. Um, yeah, just um, just to start with, um, Trevor, can you just give us a bit, a bit of background into uh, Worker and your role within it? Yeah, sure. So I work for Whistler Off-Road Cycling Association. Uh, we're um, a non-profit organisation based here in Whistler, uh, representing um, yeah, mountain bikers here in the trails. And uh, Walker was um, formed in 1989, so over 30 years now that it's been running. Um, it's basically, yeah, it's a non-profit organisation and it's member-based. So we have members there and we represent our members. And basically Walker was formed um, to advocate for trail access here in Whistler and mountain biking. And um, so it's been going for a long time. There's a strong community here. And um, yeah, my role, I'm the executive director. Uh, my role was actually formed uh, two and a half years ago. Uh, before that, the role didn't exist. I'm the only full-time year-round paid staff. Um, we also have like a trail crew that works through the summer months for six months. We have like usually around four paid trail crew there. And then we also run youth camps. So we have a youth camp manager uh, that works and lots of coaches running uh, kids camps through the summer and then we also organize uh, events so we have like weekly SUNY rides special events like races through the year and um, yeah we're basically we have a board of directors so 11 of us on the board of directors right now um, I'm paid but the other 10 directors are all volunteers and then um, yeah organ organization basis yeah uses a lot of volunteer work as well so there's some paid staff now and that's kind of been developed, but traditionally and in the past, yeah, it just started as completely volunteer based uh, for everything. Yeah. Awesome. Ah, that's a pretty expansive model, actually, that you've got going. And um, just, just, I mean, back in 1989, I presume it's a little bit before your time of getting involved in it, but um, just how, how did Worker kind of start up? Yeah, so basically it started like Whistler's known as a ski and snowboard destination. And so the resort was here, but mountain bike, it's started growing. From those people that were here year round and in the summertime um people were building trails um trying to access trails especially up into the alpine on the mountain here and um yeah walker was formed basically by keen mountain bikers who wanted to maintain access and um they were actually denied access to some alpine areas as the sport was growing just conflicts of users and uh being into the sort of bc parks area so they walker was formed really to advocate for mountain bike access and um, it also then took on, the group also then took on like a lot of maintenance of the trails um, as well as advocating for access and uh, to those trails as well. Yeah. Cool. I was wondering with the, the trail network, how, how involved are you in kind of, do you generally plan quite a way out in, if, if new trails are going to be built or do you kind of retrospectively adopt trails? How does it work around kind of adding new trails through the organization? Yeah, so it's pretty interesting here. So most of the trail network uh, and is based on trails that are unsanctioned. So they weren't, there was no approvals for trails back in the day. We've got a huge network that, yeah, there was not, nothing formally approved. Uh, everything's kind of been adopted. And then, but then over the years, things have had to be gone through different uh, sort of versions and sort of 
there's definitely a lot more going on now. So we, as walkers, an official group, we have to have trail approvals for, for new trails. And it, take, it can take several years for a new trail to, to come to light, actually. So we have our trails and planning directors who work on sort of long-term plans. We have a trails committee as well, mostly uh, formed of like volunteer trail builders. And so they get together, there's lots of talks all the time and with our board of directors about the direction we're going in and long-term plans. And so we have put in trail applications for, for new trails to get approved. And yeah, like some of the recent ones, um, the last one we did took actually three years to get approval. Uh, we've had some that have gone through a lot quicker within a year. But yeah, there has to be a lot more planning going on and like consultation with a lot of different stakeholders to get anything to happen. Cool. And who does that? Who's the people that's, that sort of sign off the planning for that as well? What's the sort of process that you need to go through? For those yeah, so most of our trails here are on Crown lands. So we have to go through the province of British Columbia. And it's uh, the organisation, yeah, the, the part that we go through is Recreational Sites and Trails, BC. So we need to get approval from them for Section 57 approval. And so, yeah, we need to put everything together for that. So initially, it's kind of just working out where we want the trails to go. We've then got to go through various different groups, go through our trails committee. Um, there's a trails planning working group, which involves a lot of stakeholders here. So the local municipal government, there's environmental groups, uh, there's other trail user groups like trails bikers, um hikers and that sort of thing so everything has to kind of go through those uh groups first to get some consultation going um sometimes we need to go further out into the public community as well and ask for support and then yeah get submitted as like all the mapping all the details and um letters of support and all that sort of stuff goes to the province and then we have to wait on them uh basically to approve and they're kind of really underfunded as well so they've got lots of trail approvals and sometimes that's why just why it takes a lot of time as well do you, with the process being quite time consuming, do you have a lot of problems with road building and people kind of just going out there doing it themselves still? Or is that something that you, you've kind of limited through, through your organisation? Yeah, it definitely still happens a lot. Yeah. Um, I put a message out this summer because um, there was definitely a lot of road building going on and we just wanted to make sure people understand that it's illegal to build trails on, on Crown land. Uh, there's definitely a lot going on. We try and mitigate that by just kind of through our network of knowing who trail builders are um our, our subcommittee our trails committee um keeps in touch with a lot of people just trying to make sure that um yeah trails don't get built in, in the wrong areas um but yeah it's a tough one especially with lots of new people constantly coming into the town here uh we just need to keep getting the messaging out about that and one way we kind of get around that and hopefully avoid issues is by running our own trail days and trail nights and encouraging people to come along as we give them an outlet and a, a way to actually build trails uh, that are fully sanctioned and approved um, with the guidance of actual yeah, experienced trail builders here. Do you have a kind of master plan of, of your kind of where you want trails to go and where it's working and then you're just looking to put permissions in and slot them in and is that is that how it works? Yeah roughly yeah we've got a rough master plan it needs to we need to update it again right now it's it, the last one was you know about five years ago I think um so yeah, that's going to continuously get updated. Um, and then, yeah, that's going to, it gets adapted as well, according to how things like different developments come up in the town and, and different sort of, yeah, it's developing quite a lot. So things change. Um, uh, I was just going to say, just quickly, just to recap, going over, how many actual paid staff are there in the organisation? Um, so during the summer months, like when we're running full everything, like camps and trail crew, it's uh, roughly 25 people maximum um but yeah for most of the year like i'm the only year round so through the winter months it would just be me uh, as paid staff our trail crew actually just finished last week 
Um, so yeah, there's usually they're usually around four full time. They can be between four and eight people paid. That looking at getting funding into that, or what's the kind of how does the mix of that work? Yeah, so the funding's a tricky one. So like my role started two and a half years ago, and really my job came up, and there was only enough money there for the like six months. For my job. Um, so part of my role was actually just yeah ex expanding our fundraising, getting a lot more money coming in so that we can actually expand on the staff staff uh, opportunities and jobs. Um, and yeah, that's worked pretty well. Like I'm, I have a background in finance, which really helped. I'm a chartered accountant. So, um, I came to wear stuff for snowboarding and mountain biking, but, um, gone back to kind of my old skills of, yeah, in accounting, which has definitely been helpful here. Um, and yeah, basically grew our revenue quite considerably over the last two years. Um, it's been tough at times. Yeah. I mean, what we've, the way our model works is our trail maintenance is paid for through a FIFA service from the local municipality. And so from me coming on and adapting the financials and having better financial reporting, we managed to increase that funding, uh, which was much needed. So we went from 50,000 a year, $50,000 a year to $120,000 for trail maintenance. Um, that's restricted to maintenance and not any new construction. So we still need to fundraise for any new builds, which is also quite a lot of money. And we put a lot of volunteer hours into new builds as well, just for that reason. And then, yeah, my, obviously my salary has to be paid. Uh, that kind of comes through membership fees, uh, which alone doesn't pay it. But then I've increased sort of our corporate sponsorship and commercial operator donations and that sort of model. And that's helping, yeah, bringing more money to make sure that we, we can actually survive and operate. Cool. Um, just to go, just go, just go back to one thing you said that, that, that I don't think is a term that, that we use in Scotland anyway. Did you say that the munis, munis, local municipality paid for a, a kind of fee for service? What was, was that? Is yeah. that right one there? Can you just explain a bit more about what that is and how that works? Yeah. So uh, it's basically it's called a fee for service, and um, the municipality has it, and it pays it to various non non profit organisations. So we're not the only one. Um, Basically, we get paid a fee for services. Also, like uh, the Whistler Arts Council, the Whistler Museum. Um, there's like the environmental groups as well. So um, it's a bit of a challenge, you know, where we're trying to get the same from the same pot of money as, as these other organisations that are really essential as well in the community. So it's a bit of a tough one. And we've looked at different models and trying to find money in different places. It seems to be working best for us right now. One thing it allows us to do is we have full control over that money. There's a lot of reporting that we need to do. So they're comfortable that we're spending everything in the right place. Um, but we do have free reign over that money in terms of where to allocate it within the trail maintenance. So our trail crew and our directors decide exactly where that money is going to go. We don't have to worry too much uh, about someone else telling us exactly what to do with the money. Um, but we do report fully, obviously, on exactly where the money's gone. And they've been really happy with that reporting. Um, but yeah, that's the model we're on currently that's, that's been working for us. How many trails are you going to manage? And, and in the kind of valley trails, what, what's the size of the network to give people an idea? So, yeah, we don't have an exact figure for kilometres, but we've always based it roughly on 300 kilometres of trails that we kind of maintain. Um, yeah, we don't know the exact amount. We've, what we're actually trying to do is start a new position for a trails and planning administrator to get a complete database, exact numbers, you know, and like, yeah, needs another role there really to oversee all of that, which we will actually be starting up soon. Uh, we tried to start earlier this year, that, that position, but then COVID hit and we had to postpone that. Uh, but yeah, it's going to start up in January uh, for that role. And yeah, we'll have much more data. I think that person will be able to gather a lot more and have a lot more concrete figures 
And then we've also used, um, for a lot of things we've used, there was a 2016 economic impact uh, report, um, which was done for the sea to sky area, so from Vancouver up to Pemberton, and included Whistler. And we, from that, we can see just as a huge amount of use. Um, and we based that was part of our kind of argument for increasing our fee for service funding um, was just those numbers, and and that was back in 2016. And we know that the, the numbers have increased every year since then. So, yeah, that's been partly how we how we uh, worked our numbers. Uh, have you seen an impact of, of kind of COVID um, on your trails? Yeah, so the huge one for us was our funding got cut pretty heavily. So that fee-for-service agreement for trail maintenance was set at 120000 for last year and this year. And then um, right when the pandemic hit, we were informed by the municipal government that they were cutting our funding to 40000 So, like, that's a huge cut of two-thirds. Um, which then we had to adapt really quickly. We didn't know that really only allowed us to employ our trail crew, you know, for eight weeks rather than the whole six months. So, um, yeah, we adapted our plans, kind of ran a bunch of extra fundraisers, trying to get more money in. Um, we were fortunate as well. There's been some federal support from the government in terms of a federal wage subsidy. Um, but that took a lot of work on my part in, in, on the financials and financial planning and changing like our monthly financials and adapting how we were receiving and spending money um, to actually um, kind of actually um, get access to that money. So overall, though, we've actually spent a whole 120,000 or more than 120,000 this year, knowing that like it was needed. Um, and yeah, we were just fortunate that we had support from the local community and donors to be able to do that. But that's not sustainable. So like moving forward to next year, we've got to do another application for a new fee for service uh, funding and we don't know what that's going to be. So there's, there's definitely some uncertainty still there about how things are going to pan out. Have you guys seen a huge kind of increase in participation in outdoor sports? I know you're in an outdoor sport capital, but have you seen numbers increase there even? Yeah, for sure. And just looking at trail force data, we can see that numbers have gone up on trails. So it's like the local users here um, with a lot of other events canceled and activities weren't possible. Uh, through most of the month, early months, especially in the summer, um, yeah, trail use went up hugely. So we definitely needed to do, needed to do a lot more maintenance on certain trails. We also had like the Whistler Bike Park for downhill biking uh, didn't open when it normally does in May. I think it was July in the end. So that we saw a lot more people buying trail bikes. Like the shops were sold out of bikes, um, and then yeah, people accessing the trails within the valley rather than downhill trails in the bike park. So yeah, that also impacted us as, as well for sure. Really fascinating insight, and 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 I think it'll be quite inspiring. We, as I say, we do have quite a number of kind of growing trails associations in Scotland, and they're all volunteer based. We don't have any with any members of staff yet, so I think that's be really interesting to them. Um, and I also hope as well that that we do have. Um, as part of this moment, we'll gather and we'll have local authorities who will be tuning into it as well, which is which is our local government. And they can look at it and see and sort of look at this as a model and say, because I definitely see as well as a result of COVID, we've had more people using our trails, more people using our outdoors. And, and we're going to need to keep that space safe and we're going to need to... Um, um, and well maintained so that it keeps being enjoyable as our numbers keep growing um, in Scotland as well. So um, I think your example there is is, is going to be really inspiring for um, for us in Scotland. So thanks very much for taking the time to tell us your story today. Hi, and and now uh, we're absolutely delighted to be joined by Seb Kemp um, and Katie Zafke from Santa Cruz, um, who run the Paydirt program. Um, hi, Seb. Hi, Katie. How are you doing today? Hi, Graham. Hi. 
All good here. Good. Um, thanks very much for joining us um, at the Scottish Mountain Bike Gathering. You, you've got a great program, which we we will we, you know we know about and respect a lot. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your PayDirt program? Yeah, I'll I'll start with that. So, um, as you guys know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that are making it possible for everyone to ride bikes, um, and so PayDirt is. Santa Cruz Bicycles commitment to supporting those people um, and increasing access to trails. Um, yeah, that's kind of the short of it, but um, the, the longer piece of it is that we're, Santa Cruz is doing this just because it's the, the right thing to do, right? Support all those people doing the, the hard work. We all wanna ride our bikes. So what organizations or projects are you looking to get involved in or you have got involved in? Yeah, so we're, we just launched our first round of grantees. Um, there were 17 groups and uh, it, it ranges from big organizations that are creating these like multi-community trail networks. They're linking community to community to community. And a lot of times those are kind of underserved communities that are looking to get a little bit more tourism and money into them. So it ranges from that to um, some organizations were creating kind of more of like an iconic trail for one particular trail network uh, to supporting some um, educational programs that are more geared towards uh, helping out underserved groups and minorities um, to, you know, just sometimes helping all the, the boring stuff too behind the scenes of like paperwork and meetings and uh, reports and all that stuff. Like it, it really runs the spectrum. And even in terms of the organizations we're supporting, it runs the spectrum of sometimes it's a bigger chunk of money and we have a commitment year to year. And sometimes it's a little bit of seed money to a smaller group that's just kind of starting out. What kind of like the the groups you're working with as well, is there a, is there, is there a certain set of values that you, that, that those groups have that you, that you um, that you like to embrace and do and, and, and how should they be kind of setting themselves up? Well, I mean, I'll start. I'm sure Sev has a lot to add to this, but uh, one, you know, one of the big things that's, for Santa Cruz, it's always kind of been in our, our DNA at Santa Cruz Bikes is, uh, we say it's using bikes as a force for good. And so when we're looking at organizations that are applying to pay dirt and when we're looking at their projects, we're looking to see if they share that same value. And so in, in terms of that, we're looking at, does that project, how does it benefit their community um, how does it benefit riders in general? And then how does it also benefit the cycling industry? But I'm sure Seb has a little more, a little more info on that too. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we've been around for 27 years um, and we've got really close ties with communities and organizations kind of near to us geographically. Um, and we've built those relationships over a really long time and feel very comfortable with those groups and the vision they've gone. And in some ways our kind of paths have been parallel. Um, 
local tours, you know, we have quite a lot of issues with trail. When I say local tours, I mean, in Santa Cruz, California, there's a lot of questions about um, access to land uh, there as well. There's a lot of issues there that have been going on for a long time. So we support organizations like Mountain Bikers of Santa Cruz that have been trying to advocate for additional access in those areas. And some of those people, they're the people that we go and we ride with at the weekend or go for a beer or have uh, some of them are even ex-employees. So there's a lot of tie-ins. When we started Paydirt and when we, when we thought about starting Paydirt like two years ago, we realized that we were, had an effect on our local area, geographically speaking, but we wanted to expand that to the world because mountain biking is uh, a global sport now. It's uh, suddenly quite a lot more mainstream than I think even mountain bike has realized it happened. And there's a lot of uh, great people doing great work out there. And we wanted to be able to connect with more of those groups and support them to do, do the work they're doing. So Paydirt was a way of not just writing checks, but really kind of having some exposure to a wider group of people that we wanted to develop some really long-term relationships with to support their vision. Um, and so, you know, we can all follow the same path. Kind of balance because, you know, the, the industry and the, the media want these images of riders doing crazy stuff. Uh, and then you've got the kind of, as you said yourself, the boring side of advocacy and getting the trails there and all the paperwork, which yourself and Graham know all about. Um, how do you kind of balance those two images of kind of what you're doing? Um, I don't think they're necessarily contradictory. Uh, you know, I think to some degree, mountain bikers in general would be better served if they understood a lot of the hard work that went on in the, in the, in the background and re recognize that without that hard work, they wouldn't be able to do the fun, jazzy, exciting stuff. So, yeah. So Payday is a, an opportunity for us to kind of highlight some of those people and some of those exercises, initiatives, those programs as well. Um, and I hope just kind of building a generation of more responsible mountain bikers. Um, I think, you know, the influx of new mountain bikers has been faster than the education um, of those new bikers. So. Yeah, and to, to add to that with, with on the advocacy side of things, Santa Cruz has been doing advocacy for a long time, as Seb was saying, and even though now it is a little more official with Paydirt, when, whenever we went to a place to, like you said, do a photo shoot or, or have a rider, you know, doing all kinds of tricks down these trails and stuff, we always try to give back to that community and that trail network in some way. And so whether it is writing the check to the local organization or getting people out there to help with building the trails before and working on them after, uh, we, we always try to leave something and, and, and we always try to build upon that relationship. I think Seb mentioned that before too, is that we don't just come in ruin their trail and then leave and say, look at that cool video. You know, like we, we're going to be back there for something else, whether it's a dealer camp or a press camp or more riding or just our group going for fun. Do you think that like, what, do you, can you give us a couple of examples of, of projects, maybe one big one, one small one that you think are like, yeah, they're doing a really good job of that. And then maybe explain a bit of why you think they're doing a really good job. Um, I'll, I'll kick off with that. <clears throat> it's an easy one because it, it's, it's sort of a, it's a group very close to our heart. We've had a long, long, long relationship with them. We kind of like blow their trumpet whenever we get a chance to, but the Sierra Buttes trail stewardship is to me, one of the leading um, 
advocacy organizations in certainly in North America, and I think they have a lot to teach the world as well. They started off um, kind of renegade in a sense that it was just trying to do trail maintenance, the physical work of just keeping trails functioning. But soon they realized that they had a much greater responsibility. It was actually to, um, to service the needs of the community around them, um, whether that's economically by driving more tourism like of the right sort to that area, and to do that in a way that was sympathetic to the, kind of the needs of the local community as well. Um, and now they, they really, to me, like I, 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 their, their grand vision that they have, not just in some of their projects, but how, they're, how they have to interact with the community of mountain bikers, the community they live in, but also into the world around them. The environment is, is really, really impressive. How they deal with um, local bureaucracies as well. Actually, I say local at all levels up to federal level is really, really impressive. So, um, yeah. And the writing is absolutely incredible. <clears throat> Endless. And uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. The other one, um, Ridgeline is a group we're supporting. They're based out of uh, the Tuscany area. And they're, they're doing kind of a similar thing to Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship in terms of really like working with the government and working with the little communities around this, this mountain region to kind of bring it all together. And, and they've been working hard on their own, just deciding they wanted to build these trails there. And they kind of slowly, they slowly just got ingrained in the community, got local trail builders, they met someone at Santa Cruz who was like, oh, it's kind of cool what you guys are doing. They put in a bunch of hard work um, and relationship building before we said, okay, now we'll give you a little bit of money to support that. Um, one thing I was thinking about there, and it's probably in your previous, uh, your previous answer as well, was just, just from that response from Santa Cruz and, and that industry response and that, that responsibility message that, that I think is, is, is fantastic to hear from the industry and doing it. And I'm just wondering, we, we, we've, we, we had a Fanny Cop from Specialized Cover last year um, and you guys doing this year. Do you think this could be the start of a real kind of groundswell of, of more industry partners getting more involved in trail advocacy um, into the future? We really hope so. Um, like we want to be a leader in mountain biking in so many different ways. And we hope that if we can uh, lead other companies to do a similar thing or even, you know, approach things in a different way, but recognize that trails, trail access, the, uh, the making sure that the right people are, are supported throughout mountain biking, it's better for us all. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we really appreciate what Fanny is, Fanny is doing over at Soil Searching. I think it's another example of, of leadership as well. Um, when it comes to Peter, we, this is a Santa Cruz initiative, but um, you know, maybe the dream is one day that it kind of spins up into something else and it's an industry-wide uh, initiative that all the industry um, kind of support into. It's a pot that they all pour into and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It always comes back to without trails, you don't have mountain biking, eh? Yes. Yeah, so and one thing, one thing our um, our CEO Joe Graney has publicly said is one of the reasons to go public with Paydirt is either to inspire or to shame other companies into doing the same. <laughs> you know, one or the other. Like, we'll take either. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, no, I, I absolutely, absolutely hats off to it as well. And I think we, we, we need it. Like the, the whole system of mountain biking that, that relies on trails, it relies on volunteers, it relies on local government, national government, um, getting behind it. And certainly we, we hope to play our part by, by hosting sessions like this, bringing good, good industry practice to the fore like you guys are doing, um, trying to get our local groups to be inspired by this as well and I think it's good for our local government and our forest services to know that the industry is likely and, and is getting behind things and we'll hopefully do more of it in the future um, and, and we really hope that the Scottish Mountain Bike Gathering can, can bring this together and then we can get Scottish guys really buzzing about their trails, about what can happen. I'm trying to figure out we get the right solution so that we can keep this sport which is which is undoubtedly going to grow in the next five few years. Um, yeah, it's going to grow in the next few years, and particularly with COVID coming in. So, um, thank you very much for your for your time today. I think that's no. I mean, just I, I think what you were just closing with the the understanding that it's actually like an ecosystem that um, it's all these layers of user and governance and, and industry have to play a part together. I think is is really important, and I think um, mountain bikers we love to just rip up and take some turns and get dirt in our face and get muddy, but it wouldn't be a bad thing if we took a took a look around sometime and not just think about how that trail was made, but actually really what were the conditions that allowed a trail to be formed there in the first place. So, yeah. Now uh, we're delighted to be joined by uh, Simon Hartwell Christensen from the um, Silkeborg municipality um, of Denmark. Simon, how are you doing today? Uh, very well, thank you. Brilliant. Um, thanks so much for joining us at the Scottish Point Mike Gathering 2020. Um, as you can see here, we're going to go through uh, Simon's prepared a presentation for us. We're going to go through that presentation and then both myself and Ed will be asking him questions afterwards. So um, over to yourself, Simon. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you very much for letting me uh, be part of uh, this uh, gathering uh, uh, this year, this uh, Corona or COVID-19 year. Um, as Graham said, my name is Simon and I'm from the municipality of Silkeborg, where I work as a development consultant. Uh, part of my job is to uh, develop and support uh, trail building in, uh, in our municipality. Uh, when I'm not uh, at work, I'm a volunteer trail builder myself uh, and I'm uh, the chairman of a local mountain bike, bike club where I train uh, kids and youngsters uh, really enjoy uh, riding my bike uh, myself as well. Um, some important milestones in our work with mountain bike trails. Uh, yeah, it's, it's almost 10 years ago that we started building trails uh, and back in 2010, uh, what, what we, we did then, then or the trail builders did then was, was basically just uh, having a partnership with the local uh, forestry commission. They uh, got a piece of forest and they uh, drew a line through the forest and started biking. There, there wasn't much uh, real trail building involved uh, at that point uh, in time. And that, that actually uh, took about five years before people started looking at trail building more seriously again. And in 2015, we formed a partnership, a broad partnership where we involved uh, both uh, the Forestry Commission, the municipality, local trail builders, mountain bike clubs, 
um, private landowners and uh, and also and very importantly uh, nature protection associations. Uh, the whole idea with the partnership was to have a, a room where we could discuss these uh, quite difficult topics uh, about developing mountain biking in our local forests. It was really, really important that we had uh, that we could sit down around the same table and discuss some of these quite difficult problems that, that needed to get solved. And by doing this, we, we got sort of a, a common cause for what we wanted to do. And there was an agreement about uh, what was what is a mountain bike trail, how many trails should we build, where uh, should we build them, and uh, and where sh where shouldn't we build mountain bike trails? The year after, in 2016, uh, the local trail builders uh, organized themselves in uh, in an in an association. Uh, this this was quite an important step because. Until then, uh, the trail builders weren't organized and uh, they were quite difficult to get in contact with as a, as a whole. But, but in 2016, some, uh, some really good trail builders uh, organized themselves and, uh, and they really, this, this is really where the, the trail building uh, part two kind of started. So the, the volunteer trail builders got organized and they started uh, building new trails and they started uh, maintaining some of the, the first trails that we started building in, in 2010. And the 20, 2016 is really important because we start building trails, but, but even more important because this, this is where uh, the trail builders got organized and they could start talking to the municipality as, as one uh, group, and they could start uh, a dialogue with the politicians as well. So this is really important, and they did a, a tremendous amount of work and put in a lot of hours in developing the trail networks. And and this was just it was a a new story. It was a new uh, kind of a volunteer commitment into uh, a user group's own facilities, and that was really inspiring uh, for our politicians. In uh, 2017, uh, Silkeborg municipalities proclaims uh, themselves as outdoor capital of uh, Denmark. An important milestone because in 2017, uh, outdoor really becomes uh, a central and really important part of uh, the political agenda in the municipality. Uh, by doing this, it, it got a lot easier for both volunteers as well as uh, myself as employed in the municipality to work with outdoor facilities and developing uh, specifically mountain bike trails. So in, uh, in 2018, we got uh, funding for, uh, for further developing the mountain bike trails. Uh, we got, uh, um, so far I think we've got about... Um, 600,000 euros uh, to develop mountain bike trails as well as uh, the bike park. Um, so it, it was really important to get the funding because the ambition of building a larger trail network is really difficult to lift for volunteers alone. So we had to uh, get some funding to hire professional trail builders and we had to get some funding so we could, uh, could continue supporting the volunteer trail builders as well. Uh, 2019, 
opening of the bike park, uh, a really, really uh, big thing for us. Uh, this is where we took trail building and uh, mountain bike facilities to a new level. Uh, uh, bigger jumps, uh, bigger trails, uh, and uh, and trails that uh, was that that was, you know, had had a, had a significant impact in nature as well. Until 2019, we've been building quite small, but now uh, we got to a point where we had the support so we can build uh, bigger things. And next year we'll be opening uh, our new trail center. Uh, really looking forward to that, and that'll be a, a big milestone as well. Uh, some some key points uh, really to to highlight here is that uh, our work with developing mountain biking in the municipality of Silverborg and the Lake District uh, as a whole requires a broad partnership. As I said earlier, it's really important for us that we got the the broad partnership where everybody could get together and uh, and really have a, a common agenda about building these mountain bike trails. Uh, the second uh, point, key point, uh, organizing the volunteer trail builders in their own organization was essential to kickstart the whole project. It was essential to, uh, to tell the, the good story and get the attention of the politicians uh, and, uh, and, and then to secure uh, public funding for further trail building. Um, making outdoor facilities and activities part of the strategy was really important. Um, it's much easier for both volunteer trail builders as well as uh, uh, us hired by the municipalities working with it to support the trail building when it's a strategic priori priority in the, in the municipality. When, when it's part of the strategy in the municipality, you get the degree of freedom that you need to support and build trails. Um, professional trail building, really important, uh, not in the beginning uh, of the, the project, but really important when uh, the project starts growing. It's quite easy for volunteer trail builders to build the first kilometers of trail and to maintain them and rebuild them so they are fun and better and better trails. But when you get a, a larger trail network, it's difficult for the volunteers to, uh, to do this job alone. So it's important to, to have some degree of professional trail building as part of this. Um, it's also really important for, to have the professional trail builders because they can do uh, uh, the hard work and they can make sure that there is a, a quite fast progress when you build a trail. It's, it's really demotivating for a volunteer trail builder to start a whole new trail project. Uh, there isn't built anything yet. You have to build 10 kilometers of brand new trail. Uh, if you have to do that as a volunteer group alone, uh, you won't be finished until in, yeah, in five or 10 years. But if you have a professional uh, crew of trail builders, they can really help you get going and you can uh, see an end to the project. And the, the volunteers can have the can build all the fun parts of the trail. As the last key point from me, uh, mountain bike trails uh, are not yet politically considered a recreational sports facility. That means that we have to find funding elsewhere 
Uh, we've got some public funding, but it's at the moment we can't get the same uh, funding for maintenance as you can get to other sports facilities. This is quite a high priority uh, for us in the municipality. The question is basically why should uh, you give public funding to, to maintain a football field and not uh, public funding to maintain a mountain bike trail? Um, yeah, it, it is getting better and we do get public funding, but uh, these uh, different kind of uh, recreational facilities are not completely aligned yet. So, so we have to work on that. Um, and then lastly, Partnerships are still very necessary to secure support. That's, uh, that's all for me. Thank you very much. My thoughts were, you were talking about the need to have professional trail builders coming in. Is, is that something to do with your kind of ground conditions as well? Do you, you have quite good ground to work on or are you having to import a lot of material or using machines? Is that something that kind of has an impact on, on the split between volunteers and professional building? And no, 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 I don't think so, actually. Um, it's, it's more that um, as, as a volunteer trail builder, some projects can, can get really, really big. Uh, if you start building a, a whole new trail and you have to uh, build uh, five or ten kilometers of trail, you, it's really hard to see the CNN to it. So what we do is we have the professional trail builders go in and do uh, most of the, the, the initial and, and a bit time-consuming work. And uh, if we have to import a lot of materials, the trail builders, the professional trail builders will help do that as well. So what's, what's sort of left is doing all the fun parts, building uh, features on the trails, uh, help uh, decide where to build the trail and how to further develop it. And what we try and do is, to do is that we have the volunteer trail builders, especially if, if we build uh, trails, new trails in, in part of the municipality where they haven't got a lot of experience building trails, that the volunteer trail, trail builders will participate uh, in building the trails alongside the professional trail builders so they get a, some sort of basic education on how to build trails. And then later on they will uh, do most of the maintenance but i think we're, we're trying to be really really realistic about it because it's 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 just it's a huge uh job to maintain the trails and uh, if we uh, if we have if we expect the, the volunteer trailer builders to do it alone it's just too big of a job uh, so we have to support them a lot uh, so they will keep on uh, thinking it's fun to build trails. Yeah, yeah. And um, and you also mentioned as well that the that COVID nineteen has accelerated usage in the trails. We've we've seen that as well in Scotland, um, and has accelerated the need to maintain the trails more. Um, but it still isn't completely recognised. But it does seem like it is recognised quite well in Denmark. Um, do you see political support for that kind of protection of of the outdoors, protection of the trails, and maintaining them? And do you think that will lead to um, better investment into maintaining trails? Um, I think we've been really fortunate in, in our municipalities to get quite a lot of public funding for the, the trail network as well as the bike park. So where we are at the moment is that uh, I think we've got the funding that we can expect at the moment. Uh, if, if we look at it a bit broader in Denmark, 
it's it, it's quite clearly that that maybe we've been first movers, but uh, other municipalities are right behind us, uh, and uh, I, I see quite a lot of public funding uh, being given uh, in other municipalities at the moment. Good. In, in terms of securing funding and the kind of rationale for that, it seems to be mostly based around kind of resident rather than tourism market, you know, you, you, you're encouraging residents to get out, stay healthy, rather than saying you attract some tourists in. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, it, definitely. Um, it's 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 part of uh, our our thoughts about getting a more sustainable uh, maintenance funding model for funding that we would like the the tourism uh, operators to participate as well as the, the, the local volunteer travelers. But we haven't been very successful with that yet. Uh, what we would like to do is uh, try and develop some partnerships uh, with uh, the tourism operators uh, in the municipality. Maybe they can be part of uh, mountain biking events or maybe uh, we can host events for, for their company specific um, and then they will pay some sort of uh, a fee to the uh, back to the trails. Mm -hmm. We can definitely, we see it more and more that uh, some of the, the hotels and some of the camping sites, they use uh, the mountain bike trails uh, to attract customers. So, so obviously we've got uh, an ambition that they should help fund it as well. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Simon, for your time today um, and being a part of the Scottish Mountain Bike Gathering um, in 2020. Uh, and I, I think your story will, will really resonate quite well with a lot of our different trail groups um, and hopefully as well with our local authorities who might be looking at what they do within their within their local areas and um, to see and how can they best support this growing kind of um, this growing number of people who are using the outdoors into it as well. So thank you very much for um, an inspiring tale. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome.